Well, good morning to you. It is a blessing to be here today. Delvin uh, was talking about how many years it's been since they've been in Guatemala, and I uh, was thinking about how many years has it been since we lived here. And it's been 19. So, um, the time has a way of moving on. And we need to move with it. It's, it's something that, um, that's just the way God designed it. The life needs to move on, and we need to follow the Lord and, and to be involved in what He called us to. So I invite you this morning to turn to Romans 8, verse 28. It's a verse we probably could quote by heart. And this morning I'm not necessarily thinking especially about uh, your particular situation as a church here in this community. But just in general, the things that we face in life, and how do we cope with it, how do we deal with it, how do we be able to look at life with courage and, and encouragement. Romans 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I suppose this verse is one of the most well-known verses in our Bible, right up there with uh, John 3.16 and Psalm 23, I suppose. And I'd like to pause this morning and to consider this verse. And what is he saying? What does it mean for us? In fact, I'm not going to be reading a lot of other verses and kind of focusing on this one. Many of us, in one way or another, have experienced hard things in life. And I'm sure your mind, even as I speak here, goes to some situation. And maybe even one you're in at the moment. And sometimes these hard things are short-lived and soon life is back to normal again. And when the hard things are soon over, it's not so hard to believe Romans 8, 28. You know that all things work together for good. But it's when those things seem to go on and on that believing this verse, living this verse, is more difficult. When there's no end in sight or things that way, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Do all things really work together for good. When you and I are in the, the dark valley, plugging it out in life, I have wondered at times about this verse. And I suppose we all have. So what about Romans 8.28? Can we believe it? And that's the title of the message this morning. Can we believe Romans 8.28? There's at least two things about this verse that in my humanness that I struggle with. And first of all, that this verse promises something so big that I confess that I struggle to believe it is, especially in those times of struggle. When the, the hard thing seems to go on and on. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But Paul wrote, in, to the Romans, we know 
that all things work together for good. So how could Paul be sure about that? We think about some of the things he experienced in life. Really hard things. How could he know that? We can hope all things work together for good, but the Bible says we can know all things work together for good. So that's one thing that I struggle with as I think about this verse. And the second thing is the promise that this verse includes are things that in my humanness I would think could be left out. All things work together for good. And you think, what does all mean? That means everything. And that means that I would include some pretty hard things that I would really rather not be included. To be honest, there's some things in life that I've experienced, and I'm sure you could say the same thing that I cannot find anything good in. I struggle to at least. Would it be more accurate to say some things work together for good, or most things work together for good? But God inspired Paul to write that all things work together for good. There have been times that I have clung to this verse desperately in hard times in life. And God worked in a, in a situation, there was a solution, and the situation, after a while, is over. We're able to go on in life. And we can look back at that hard thing and, and see that, yes, there were some good things that came out of that. And it's wonderful to be able to do that. It builds our faith. Um, to, to be able to have that kind of reassurance that even hard things can God has a purpose for it and it can be used for good and we learn and, and it does something good for us and God gives gives the glory. Hopefully, we can learn from those kinds of experiences. It's not that we go looking for them, but God can use hard things for our good. But you, if you're like me. We quickly tend to forget some of those things after it's over and life kind of goes on and, and get our feet back under us again and, and we move on, we get distracted and busy and all those kinds of things. I guess we're forgetful people, or I am. And well, what often happens to me is now there's another situation a different set of circumstances that, that my mind focuses on and I struggle with. Another problem, another dilemma, another hard thing. And once again, I don't know what to do. And I hope that I have learned to think and remember that other situation, that I've seen it through it, he was faithful, there were some good things that came out of that. Could he not do that in this situation I'm in right now? But in the middle of a struggle, that's when Romans 8.28 is a hard verse to embrace. And maybe I don't say it out loud, but somewhere in my head can be nagging thoughts of doubt. And our enemy loves to slap us in the face with the accusation. And look what God has promised in His Word, and look what He has allowed in your life. This doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. Just look at your situation. Has 
God really is coming through for you? Is He giving you any answers? That, in essence, what Satan did to Job, or tried to do, in kind of a roundabout way, but that's what he was intending to do. So we often struggle with that as we struggle with things in life. So, sometimes this verse is like a balm to the soul. It's encouraging. It gives us hope. And sometimes this verse seems like a cruel gift. Because sickness is not good. Murder is not good. Divorce is not good. A loved one dying is not good. Pain is not good. Is it? And sometimes people have used this verse in a well-meaning way, but they quote it to someone who is suffering. And as though it answers every question in life. But if that's the way God intended this verse to be used, is the question that I grappled with. You know, I'm tempted to mentally change this verse to say something like this. Something works mostly together for good to those who are smart and who really work hard and are lucky enough to experience health and, and wealth and good things. But that's not what Scripture says. That's not what's in my Bible. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And as God said it, that means it's true. So what do we do with Romans 8, 28? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out two things that this verse does not say. hope that makes sense. Number one, Romans 8.28 does not say that we can live any way we please and selfishly, recklessly, foolishly choose things in life and expect God to somehow wave a magic wand over our situation, over our dumb choices in life, and turn them magically into good things. That verse does not say that. No, there are consequences for sin. And we reap what we sow. God can and will forgive our foolish choices and help us uh, learn from those foolish choices and to make better choices. And then God gives us everything we need to live in victory and to grow in Him. But God allows us the privilege of choice. And neither can we hold on to the first part of this verse and forget the, the second half of this verse, where it says that this is a promise to those that love Him and who are living for Him. It's a qualification for the, for the, the promise that it gives. And so even though the true believer sometimes has, has bad and sad and evil and hard things touch their lives, God has the power and the wisdom to somehow use those things to bring about good. I think about Johnny, as he can talk, however you say the name. Paralyzed from the neck down in a wheelchair now for over 40 years. And when people ask her, why would God allow suffering? to a child of his. 
you know, often will say something like this, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And coming from a person that has, that has experienced something like that, that's something to think about. And so this promise in Romans 8.28 is for the true believer that seeks to live for the Lord in all of life, in practical ways. Not a license to live foolishly, recklessly, carelessly, because God somehow comes along with his magic wand and, and fixes everything. Another thing that this verse does not say that all things are good in and of themselves. Romans 8 28 tells us that God can and does allow these things to do a work within us that is good, but it doesn't say that all things in and of themselves are good. Until Jesus returns and conquers Satan once for all, sin will continue to devastate the lives of those who indulge in it. Scars and pain always come along with sin. A world is broken and groans under the curse of sin. And finally death will come, but it doesn't have to be in it be that way in our lives. We will die a physical death and let Christ return first, of course, so we can have life eternal, spiritual life. And I praise God for that. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. I honestly don't know how you would live without that kind of hope. Especially in the, the tough things we face in life. So yes, hard things happen even to obedient believers. And no matter how rose-tinted our glasses may be, or how positive we force ourselves to think, there's nothing good about cancer. There's nothing good about abuse. And all those terrible things that some people experience. The truth of Romans 8.28 is that reminds us that although sin and Satan are powerful, God is infinitely more powerful. And now sometimes I, I wonder if we really under, understand that. It's not like there's these two kingdoms that are battling each other and sometimes one gets the advantage and sometimes the other. Now that Satan's kingdom is this little small, little selfish thing and God's kingdom is immense. And it's so much more powerful. I think we, we could grasp the, the, the one-sided battle that it, in, in reality it really is. It would help us choose wisely in life. All things may not be good, but God has the amazing ability to use all things for His purpose. So as we think about this verse, as we struggle with whatever's on your mind right now, the struggle in life, point number one I'd like to make this morning is that we must, we must begin with God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. In the King James Version, God is mentioned at the end of the phrase, at the end of this verse. Remember the phrase there, I guess, in the middle of the verse. And I suppose that's where the grammar put it, the name of God. But my point here is that as we experience 
hard things, tough things in life, and we suffer because of it. We must begin with God and not tack God onto the end that is kind of an afterthought. We will never properly understand this verse as long as we put God at the end instead of at the beginning. But the challenge to me is that I go into a situation, my typical response is, oh, what can I do about this? I need to do this and this and this and, and, and try to steer this in a better direction. You know what I mean. We need to begin with God rather than catch him on at the end. Life is not a roll of the dice. It's not a game of chance. It's not that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And then God starts to come along behind and he picks up all the pieces with his big broom and somehow make it right. In reality, God is there at the beginning. And that's a, a comfort to me. God is there at the beginning. Not only in the book of Genesis, but the day I was born. And the, the moment I begin to go into this tough situation, whatever it might be, he's there at the beginning. That he was there long before we got there. He is at the end, and he's at the beginning, and all the way through it. It's not love, it's not chance, it's not blind faith, but God is at work. Whatever it is right now, the hard thing that you're facing, God is there. And that's assuring to know. That's encouragement, gives us hope. More than likely, God has been preparing us for this moment. In the circumstances of life, and the uh, even the gifts that He gives us, the opportunities that we have, the resources that are that are ours, that He has allowed into our lives, has been preparing us for this moment. So, we've, we've all asked the question, where is God when it hurts? Is God really there? Or is God only there at the end, picking up pieces? And the answer is, and my point is, according to, if you think about this verse, Romans 8, 28, is God is at the beginning, God is in it, with us through it, and God is at the end. The happy ever afterism that says that God waves the magic wand when it's over and turns things into a blessing. That ism is, is at best incomplete if you think about that. It's not the whole story. Life is not a fairy tale. In reality, life can be hard. And you know what I'm talking about. There's so much we don't understand. What do you say when a loved one dies? What do you say when a child is abused? When a marriage falls apart or when a dear friend turns their back on you? All these things or pain becomes a part of life. It's hard to see how these things can be good things because they're not good things. But God in this Amazing ability and wisdom and power can take things that we struggle with and turn them into something good. 
as we look at these situations and struggles that we have and try to come up with the why, the answer to the why, and often in our human way of thinking, the answers we come up with are kind of cheap, kind of shallow, and then and human, because that's who we are. And it doesn't really satisfy the doubt and, and, and the struggle within our soul. So, just to tell someone who's struggling with a tough thing, you know, cheer up, brother, sister. That's not a tragedy. It only looks that way. And just by faith. It's a nice thing to say. I hope it's encouraging somehow, but it really doesn't answer the question that, that's on our mind. It doesn't help to, to say that pain is imaginary. And that if we only try, I will get over it. That's too shallow an answer. And, and honestly, it, it's a dishonest answer. So, suppose I crash my car, and I take it to Lee Martin and say, Lee, I've, I've crashed my car, I need to get fixed. And Lee says, uh, Brother, you didn't crash your car. You, your car should be rearranged. You need to adjust your concrete and rearrange. And I would have to disagree. My car has been rearranged, but it's because of a crash, right? And it needs to be fixed, Lee. The Bible never asks us to pretend that a tragedy isn't a tragedy, or to pretend that our pain isn't real, or that a loss isn't great, and the night is not dark. The point is, we need to learn to understand the active involvement of God, even when the pain won't go away, when it's still dark. God is there. God is there. He's always involved in the life of the believer. So, Romans 8, 28, is Paul saying that whatever happens is good? No. Is he saying that suffering and pain and hard things are good? No. If you're saying that our pain is a product of our imagination, and it isn't real, and we need to adjust your attitude, no. Is Paul saying that everything will work out if we only have faith? I don't think so. Is he, under, is he saying that we will always understand why God allows hard things? And the answer is no. So then what is Paul saying in Romans 8, 28? I think it's, it's sort of like Paul putting a sign over the unexplainable hard things in life, and the sign reads like this, in the quiet, God is at work here, even when you don't understand. And we ask, how and why? What's the purpose for the hard thing that I struggle with? What is God doing? We're not always sure. And maybe we will never have it explained to us. And we don't have answers for it. But my point is, we can be reassured that beyond all doubt, that what God allows in our life for a true believer has a purpose, has an intent, something that God is doing for good and not for evil. I think that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. 
I suppose we've all been afraid of the dark sometime in our lives. Fear comes when you can't see what God gives you. And you dread what might be hiding there. But when Daddy came in the room, or Mommy, or whatever the case may be, he comforted you and said, Don't be afraid, I'm here. And it makes a difference. Fear goes away, not because it's no longer dark, and not because there's not scary things out there, not because you might have a bad dream, but because Daddy's there, it's okay. So my prayer for anyone here this morning that might be struggling with something, my prayer is that you discover your Heavenly Father is there. With you. He will never leave you, never shake you. That, that's a promise you can claim to the true believer. The darkness is dark, is still dark. The pain still hurts. The unknown is still scary. But he is there, and that changes everything. So, can we believe Romans 8 28? And I would say, yes, brothers, this we can. But we need to start with God and not tack him on as an afterthought. It can be a no-so, not a maybe-so, not a probably-so, to no-so because God says so. A number of months ago when I was having a lot of shoulder trouble, again, there was a sign I would go by on my way to work. And the sign was one of those yellow ones, a caution sign, that said, you know, curve ahead. It had an, an arrow. Curve ahead, you know, I think it's 40 miles an hour, something like that. It's a warning to, so you know what's coming. Well, the top bolt is coming out of the sign. And so it swiveled around, hanging from the bottom bolt. And now the arrow is pointed into the creek. I drove by that day for a week or so to the sixth day. And I thought, you know, in my situation, that's kind of what it feels like. I know something is ahead. It's not something I look forward to. It looks like I'm going to creep. And that's not where I want to go. But, you know, the sign is not accurate. I'm not turning upside down like it was. And so, yes, it, it can, these things can be scary. And Satan can use that fear to intimidate us. But it's not the real story. I just want to encourage us with that. My sister Judy gave me this uh, a word picture. She said, when we experience tough things, it's not that God's power is just barely keeping up and it's hardly enough to help us. But rather, God is restraining His power because He knows we need hard things for us to grow and to learn. And that He must long to release His power that He knows our needs of growth. That's something to think about. Point number two, as we think about self-centered life, we need an eternal perspective. Again, reading this verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. 
so many things are unexplainable. Why does a tornado destroy one house and leave another one untouched? I don't know the answer to that. Why does one person struggle with health issues and another person abuses their body and yet cruises right through life? Seems like I don't know the answer to that. Why does the tumor come back and the doctor thinks he's got it all? I don't know how to answer that. Why does that needed person die? I don't know the answer to that. A week ago, in our cemetery, we buried a baby that lived about an hour. Wow. What was the purpose of those that eight months, eight and a half months of life, and then an hour of life, and then be gone? You don't know the answer to that. Out here in the cemetery here, Fifty years ago, something like that, there was a man that died in a terrible uh, uh, truck accident, burned to death. Fifty-some years later, the man that was with him in that vehicle also passed away in the spirit of the How do you explain that? While one man died, another man lived for 50 years. We don't know the answer to that. The list of such questions is probably endless. And when we focus only on the unexplainable, it often doesn't make any sense. And we ask why. If there is a purpose to our pain and struggle, we can't see it. Because as, as humans, we, we tend to judge the end by the right now. Right? Another way of saying that would be we tend to judge what we cannot see by what we can see. If that makes sense. And so when tragedy strikes, if we can't see a purpose, we don't understand it, we assume that maybe there isn't a purpose, and we wonder why. But the opposite is true. We should be judging the right now by the end. It's the lesson I need to learn. Romans 8, 28 is to help us as we grapple with the tough things of life. And to be able to look at the things that we're experiencing right now in the context of the end. And my point is here that we need an eternal perspective in order to understand what this verse means. We know that all things work together, Paul wrote. What are two words in King James English? The word work together, two words. Now, I think it is, if I understand right, is one word in Greek. And it means to partner in labor, to be a fellow worker, to combine efforts, to cooperate, to work together. It's a verb, it's an action word. Work together. We get our English word synergy from the Greek word, if I understand right. And that's not a word we use very often. What does synergy mean? It means when you, when you put two or more elements together, join them in such a way that together they become more than they can ever be by themselves. Like you put two chemicals together. They can even be dangerous or, or not very helpful alone, but you put them together. 
you have something that they could never do on their own. All things work together. Things that are not necessarily good in and of themselves, but because of God's power and His wisdom, can work them together in a way that is good and have a purpose. So even in the dark and painful times, God is working. God is up to something. And God is always up to something good. Even though we might not understand what it is. About a, I don't know, half an hour drive, 45 minute drive to my house in Dublin, Virginia, is the Volvo truck plant. They make Volvo trucks. Actually, I've heard it's the largest Volvo truck plant in the world. Now, I've been by there a number of times. You can see it from the Interstate 81, along about, what is it, close to 100 or something like that. I've never been inside the factory, but I suppose if you stop outside the Volvo truck plant and watch what's happening there, I suppose you would see shipments of parts and materials coming into that place, and you would see shiny new Volvo trucks rolling out the other end. So what happens between the arrival parts and the trucks rolling out the other end? Something's happening in it, right? Many loads of truck parts are going into that place. Engines and transmissions and hoods and fenders and seats and windshields and bolts and all this, you know, wheels and tires, all that stuff. And they become a part of an assembly line. And out the other door rolls a brand new truck and there you go. How does that happen? And so you're watching this whole process from the street. You hear the noise. You see forklifts buzzing around, you see people working on the sidelines at least, and, and you wonder what's going on in there. And you can't tell how pieces of a truck become a truck. But you've got to know that there's not just some giant mixing machine in there in which they throw the bolts and the tires and the screws and the, all the parts in there and out from the truck. You gotta know that's not the way it works. I don't think you'll ever get a single nut on a single bolt that way. There would not be a rivet put in the correct hole. The speedometer would never be installed correctly and mounted to the truck firewall. A new Volvo truck doesn't happen by chance. No, inside that factory, there are skilled and intelligent minds that are working. And these people putting these things, these parts together, and out rolls a new truck. Beyond the things of the engineers and the, the designers all working for the same purpose. So, from the street, it doesn't make sense how parts become a truck. But you know there's something going on inside there. That's sort of what Romans 8.28 is saying. As you think about the sufferings in life. God begins with the raw materials of life. And some of those things are not very pleasant in and of themselves. And to us, it doesn't seem like it has a good purpose. And we wonder what they're there for. And those raw materials have pressure and heat applied, and they're bent and drilled and welded and cut and bolted 
and painting over the course of our lives. And with sound, as we surrender to the wisdom of our Creator, something beautiful is being created. And that doesn't happen in just two days. It takes a lifetime. And God keeps working on people. Shaping and molding. It's not an accident. It's not by chance. It's not a roll of the dice. But God is busy, even today, in the situation you're in. The things that you struggle with. God is making something that is beautiful when we surrender to Him. Even though... Even as a, a Volvo truck is now the product of a random chance, even so, the life that God is changing and, and working on, with, it has a purpose, it, it has uh, a goal in mind. Can we believe Romans 8.28? And I say, yes, we can. But we need an eternal perspective. That was point number two. Point number three, can we believe Romans 8.28? We must define the word good. And again, I read this first. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. What does good mean? And here's kind of the crux of the matter. What is the good he's talking about? For most of us, if we would define good, we would say, uh, well, that's health and happiness ease of life and long life or lots of money and things that, you know, we, we tend to think that humans, those things are good. Generally, we might say that good life is a better set of circumstances. And I think God created us to, to strive for um, so that things are not difficult or not painful. He, he made us to to yank our finger away from the hot burner on the stove, those kinds of things. But my point here is we need to see an eternal good. That's what God is after. I thought about stopping at Dollar General or Walmart or somewhere, and I didn't on the way here. And picking up a, a blinky ball, rubber ball with a light inside, battery operated, when you bounce it, it lights up blue and green and yellow, and you've seen that. So, suppose I have my blinky ball up here, and I have a $100 bill, and some child here this morning, two, three years old, whatever, I say, you can have one or the other. Which would you like? What would their choice be? Blinky, blinky, blinky. And there's a little piece of green paper. Probably they would choose the blinky ball. Not knowing that the $100 bill could buy a whole bunch of blinky balls. And we tend to go through life as humans kind of that way. Trinkets or treasures. See, the choices we have in life. The blinky ball. Satan flashes that in our eyes all the time. Wealth. Stuff. The newest phone. I don't know. Just whatever. Car. House. Prosperity. Wealth. Fun. Blinky, blinky, blinky. Not realizing that the real wealth is something else. Trinkets of treasures. What am I after? And that when we have that straight in our mind, what's a trinket and what's a treasure? Just to define the word good in Romans 8 28. All things work together for good. Now, what kind of good are we talking about? It's an eternal good. Paul defines 
What good is in the next verse, verse 29? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Right there's the key. Conformed to the image of his Son. That is what's good. Now, without getting in, into the definition of predestination and all that big discussion, I just want to point out here that God has a purpose for his children to be, become like Jesus. That's what the good is, I think, in verse 28. All things work together for good. So, God is shaping us to become more like Jesus. So, suppose tomorrow, I have, or you have a tire blowout on your vehicle. Now, positive thinking in and of itself might say, well, there must be a positive reason the tire blew out. There must be a a fail on tires somewhere. That's what positive thinking could be for you. But God's purpose is way beyond a, a tire fail, okay? His purpose is to shape us a little more. Even a flat tire can shape us to be a little more like Jesus. He wants to change us. He is God is less interested in helping us be healthy and happy and more interested in helping us become more holy like Jesus. Now, it's not that God is disinterested in health or disinterested in us being a blessed and happy people. It's just that uh, God wants us to become more like Jesus. So, I believe what Romans 8.28 is talking about is that our experiences in life will not always give us a better set of circumstances. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But God is passionate about making you and I more like Jesus. And as much as we hesitate to say it, whatever it takes for you and I to be more like Jesus, that's good. And that's a little hard to say and to believe. Because that includes some pretty hard things sometimes. But you know, if we're really honest, we usually learn more in the dark times than when we're when times are easy, right? We often pray more when we're scared than when we're confident. We reach out more to God when we're in pain than when we're in good health. It, it's just a human thing, I guess. And when I think about God being at work, even in the hard times of life, it gives me hope and courage, even as I experience pain and hard things, because I know God is up to something. His ways have a purpose. He wants me to be like Jesus. Well, Paul didn't say that we always know, we always see everything working for good. He just says that God is working for good. Not that we necessarily always see it. Many times, in fact, we don't see it. But when we know God's character, we know that He's up to something good. And again, I, I remind us of all the things that Paul experienced. Hard things. I cannot imagine talking on a boat for weeks, not knowing if you're going to live. 
called Finstead. And the miracle of being on shore again, probably a couple of hours, and being bitten by a snake that was normally killed. Paul had some hard things. And yet, none of those things that he experienced made it impossible for him to grow more like Christ. God was taking him even in those things. Even in the thorn in the flesh that he writes about, and that God did not remove. Paul learned that even though the thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, was a hard thing, God was doing something good with it. And many things like that in our lives. No, we don't know why trucks crash. We don't know why good people die, and why the innocent gets sick, and why pain is part of life. There's a lot we don't know, but what we do know is that God is at work, and His purpose is good. He's not forgotten us. So can we believe Romans 8, 28? And brothers, sisters, yes, we can. But we need to properly define what good is and adjust our human way of thinking to understand that. Because becoming more like Jesus is good. Point number four, and I've already mentioned this one, is that we must understand the qualifications in order for this verse to be true in our lives. And what I'm referring to is in the last part of uh, verse 28, this promise is to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purposes. This promise, according to what it says here, is not for the unbelievers. This promise is not for the person who says they love God, but live as though they love something else. And the reason they live as though they love something else is because that's exactly what they do. They love something else, and that's been in my life as well at times. And I'm challenged by the sobering thought that I cannot claim the promises of God like Romans 8, 28 and insist on living my own life, doing my own thing. This promise is for the believer. Now, God does promise to hear the repentance sinner, and we praise God for that. But the promise in Romans 8, 28 is for the true obedient believer, not for the rebellious me doing my own thing. So, yes, Romans 8.28 is true. But I'd like to mention two things to keep in mind as we ponder the, the painful things we sometimes experience. Point number five. It's not always possible to try to explain the unexplainable. And I've mentioned this already. It's a natural thing, I guess, we all tend to do. And we want to know why. God made us to think and to be curious. And as we struggle, we want to know why. So we are. Sometimes I find myself in, in my zeal to protect God's reputation and try to explain with my limited perspective and limited human reason why bad things happen to good people. And usually this uh, is not a very good idea to try to do because, in all honesty, many times we simply don't know the answer. 
fact, most of the times we don't. But think that we know that God is up to something good. The ways of God are much higher than ours. And I believe it's enough to know Him and to love Him and to trust Him that He does all things well. In my feeble attempts to justify what God allows by my human thinking and reasoning, it really doesn't help me or anyone else understand why to go through these things. Sometimes it's just better to admit, I don't know why. And I don't know the reason for it. Point number six. We must understand that God's values and our values are not always the same. Kind of like saying we understand that we don't understand. At least not completely. We are not called to praise God for evil. We're not called to praise God for sin and for death and all those things, but we can praise God for the good that He can work in our lives through difficult things, even on in darkest, darkest of days, to know that all things work together for good. This verse is not teaching us to call evil good or simply smile through our tears and pretend it doesn't hurt. But Romans 8, 28 is teaching us that no matter what, what happens to us, no matter what we face, no matter how unfair it may seem, God is there, God has a purpose. Sometimes I wish we could back way up and see life through with God's perspective. You know, the span of eternity and our little blip that's our lives that we struggle with. To be able to see beyond just the now and see God's purpose. Uh, I would like to think it would make more sense. And I think it would. You know, one of the things about hard times it has, those times have a way of revealing to us a real treasure. What is great, what really matters. As I think about this burying that little child here a week ago, you know what? It doesn't matter what your son was today in that situation that we're in. It doesn't matter that the car is unwashed. It doesn't matter the grass is unmowed. It doesn't matter what's in the bank account. These kind of hard things sort of put all the stuff of life aside and get right down to what matters. I hope we can learn some lessons from that. To be able to not be so distracted and 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 a love for rather than the love of the Lord, for the Lord, to adjust our priorities and our first loves. The Bible never says that God weeps. Jesus wept, the Son of God, he came to earth, and on several occasions he's neglected of him weeping. So we can know that God understands what we go through and the souls that we have. 
as a pastor, a great man like this pastor once, I've heard, with the question, where was God when my son died? You know, I think he's crying for him. And in a wise pastor, thoughtful moment, he said, when your son died, God was at the same place he was when his son died. And that, brothers and sisters, is, is, is kind of the final piece to the puzzle. Because it was not a carefree, happy, lighthearted event. It must have given him pain. And of course, we have to think with our human minds. We don't understand God completely. But I wonder. As God watches us experience and, and He allows things in our lives, He knows it's going to hurt and cause us trouble. I, I wonder if, if, he's, if He's grieving along with us, even as He supplies us with what we need to go through. I can't turn to a verse that says that directly, except to, to point to Jesus and what He said about uh, you know, experiencing the, the things of life and and sympathizing with people. All things work together for good. Not because we see the answers, but because we know Him and can trust Him. His promises do not fail. So, can we believe Romans 8, 28? And let me answer that big question with another question. And that is, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Can we believe Romans 8, 28? And if not, what's the alternative? There is none. If we do not believe Romans 8, 28, what are we going to believe? In my strength and wisdom, are we going to believe in luck? Are we going to believe in some impersonal force of nature? There's no other answers. And so, yes, we can and must believe the promise of Romans 8.28. And so something we never should forget as we experience the tough things in life. That's our God, to to have the wisdom and the power to even take difficult things and make something good out of it. In fact, He allows it for that purpose, to, to make us more like Jesus. Now, what I've just shared with you this morning does not answer every question. I know that. But it answers the question of, does God know what He's doing? And I think we would all have to agree, yes, He does know what He's doing. And if we know Him, His character, that helps us tremendously. In fact, it's enough for us to go through whatever it is to go through in life. So I would encourage us to suffer well. Now that sounds, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? But we do struggle. Let's lift our eyes beyond the here and now. Someone else may need to see you go through whatever it is and can help them in their struggle. That's what has helped me as I think of other people that have gone through tremendous things. And God led them through. And when I'm in a struggle, maybe God can use my responses, my walk of life to help someone who's following me. In closing, let's read some more verses in Romans 8. Let's read verses 31 
32 and another chapter. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? If Christ had died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes his intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or COVID, or car accidents, or cancer, and anything else? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What comfort as we struggle with life. James wrote, Consider it all joy when you fall into trials, the trying of your faith brings patience. Joseph there in Egypt, Genesis 50, told his brother, You meant for evil, God meant for good. So, a question to ponder, and maybe even a personal Bible study was Joseph sold or was he sent? Think about it. Maybe it was both. But my point is that it had purpose. God took something that was hard and tough and, and evil and done something good with it. Paul and Silas sang in prison, Acts chapter 16. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Their safety seems joyful for the present, but afterwards it produces the fruit of righteousness. Verse 13, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So can we believe Romans 8, 28? Praise God, yes we can. God bless you this morning.